Come follow me, the Savior said, then let us in his footsteps tread. For thus alone can we be one with God's own This is Lexi Austin, and you are listening to The Savior Said, a weekly podcast dedicated to my musings and observations on the New Testament and the Gospel of Jesus Christ. I will be using the Come Follow Me curriculum of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. This curriculum can be found at comefollowme.churchofjesuschrist.org. For more content, follow me on Facebook at facebook.com slash thesaviorsaid. Hey guys, so welcome to the General Conference bonus content episode of The Savior Said. I am so excited about this episode. We have so much to talk about. So much happened in this General Conference. I just can't wait to rehash it with you guys. Um, So here's what we're going to do. We are going to talk about, first of all, I want to talk about some of the changes and stuff that they made and some of the observations I made. And then I want to go through the top five talks that impressed themselves upon me. Now, my top five talks may be totally different from your top five talks and that's totally okay. These were just the talks that really reached out to me and said, hey, Lexi, this is for you. So um, I'm just going to share some quotes and some thoughts that came from those talks. Okay, so first up, some of the changes that were announced. The first changes that we kind of saw were the dissolution of the young men's presidencies, which the poor young men's presidencies, like across the world, they were kind of like, I just had a calling, but now I don't have a calling. Like, you know, they were just released like all of a sudden all at once. Um, And they probably didn't know it was coming, so I feel bad for them. I also am concerned about our bishops now that they have this extra kind of responsibility laid upon them. And so guys, I think it's going to be really important as members of our ward to do whatever we can can to take the burden off of our bishops so that they can focus on the young men and on the youth just like our prophet wants them to. So um, that would be my challenge to y'all is to find some way that that you can help him bear those burdens, that you can sustain him in his calling so that he can properly focus on what he needs to. So that was my first thought. The second thought I had is when they announced the young women's changes, which, you know, first of all, they did away with the beehives and the my maids and the laurels, and they gave the wards permission to kind of put the young women's classes together however they see fit, which a lot of people in some of the groups that I'm in were like, oh, how's this going to work? I don't know how it's going to work. Well, let me tell you. Let me tell you, because my ward has been having all of our young women meet together as one class for a while now because there was like seven or eight young women total. Like there wasn't very many. But I loved it when they did that. And I was really surprised at the lack of like clickiness that happened. Like when I was a young woman and there was like 30 plus of us in there and, you know, we were all divided into our three separate classes by age. There was lots of clicks. Like we definitely like the older girls hung out together. We didn't really hang out with the beehives. We we're kind of like, ew, they're like little and weird and we don't want anything to do with them. You know, we we're kind of just kind of snotty about it. Whereas when I see like our young women now and they're all in one big group, they get along so well and the older girls are taking care of the younger girls and the younger girls are serving, you know, the middle girls. And I mean, it's it, they're all just friends. And so I think that that is actually going to be a really good way to get our girls interacting with each other at the different age levels and kind of, you know, the older ones mentoring the other ones and, you know, everybody serving each other. I'm just really excited about it. I think that is going to be a really powerful change for young women. And so for those of you who are concerned about what that's going to look like and how it's going to all play out, I'd say don't worry about it. I think I think it's going to be a very positive change for you. Also, I loved that they redid the theme. Like this theme that they have done is so powerful. And some of the things that stood out to me from the theme is I'm a beloved daughter of heavenly parents. Heavenly parents. Because before the theme was, I'm a daughter of Heavenly Father, and I love Him, and He loves me. But the fact that we're emphasizing parents means that there's somebody up there besides our Heavenly Father. And I love that we are acknowledging our Heavenly Mother as well. I love that they talk about Jesus Christ. The rest of the theme is all about Jesus Christ, coming to Jesus Christ, being a disciple in Him. And I love that I feel like it's simplified over the previous Young Women's theme. And they don't mention the values. So I'm kind of wondering what's going to happen with the young women's values. Like, are they going away with the institution of like the new youth program? And then this new theme, are the young women's values going away? Which part of me is kind of like, oh, that's sad. But at the same time, I'm like, yeah, change is good. Let's keep going. Right. So 
I thought the the new theme was really pretty awesome. Um, I love that it is so Christ-centered. So, yay, go church. All right. And then the final thing I want to bring your attention to, if you have not seen it, it's come out in the last couple of days. So it wasn't actually conference. It was just a letter released, you know, kind of on its own. But it's close enough to conference. I felt I could include it in this episode. Is that the church has released new safety guidelines for our sacrament meetings. And so I would definitely invite you to go find that. You can find it um, in your LDS communication library, or you can find, I'm sure there's other various places online where it's posted. But it talks about what to do if there's, you know, active shooter situations, if there's any sort of safety interruption in your meeting, go ahead and go find it. That's something that has always been very concerning to me, um, especially as a primary president. Like I went through and like wrote all these safety plans for my kids and like what we would do in all these different situations because I feel like when we're at church, we are so vulnerable to like any sort of attack, you know, sacrament meeting. Think of that. Like anyone could just walk in and we're like fish in a barrel kind of thing. So I think it's really, really great to see some of these safety guidelines from the church. Um, Okay, so now let's head on to the talks. And guys, just an aside, I'm dealing with a little bit of walking pneumonia. So if I sound really cruddy and like nasally and stuff like that, that's what's going on. I'm okay. I'll be fine. I'm feeling good. I'm on antibiotics and whatever, and it's all good. But just if I sound a little gross and cruddy, like that's why I sound cruddy. Okay. All right, so on to the talks. I've got five that I want to talk about, but... I want to start off with an honorable mention because I love Jeffrey R. Holland. I couldn't do an episode and not include Jeffrey R. Holland, but his talk didn't have like the full spiritual wallop, um, I guess, that the other five that I chose did. However, I just loved his talk so much. I kind of felt like he was the ringmaster for um, General Conference. You know, he does that, that line at the end of his talk where he's like, welcome to conference. And it's kind of like a mic drop, right? I loved, loved that moment. And also, he gave us the story of the baby sustaining the prophet with his foot. And um, I kind of want to sustain the prophet with my foot now every time that they announce it on conference. So um, I think it's good. I also really like that he emphasized that in the middle of all this hustle and bustle that goes on with conference, our emphasis needs to be on Christ. And I also like that he emphasized that we need to have spiritually aware people surrounding us to help us focus on Christ as well. So everything's about Christ. Everything points to Christ. And ladies and gentlemen, welcome to conference. Mic drop. Boom. Jeffrey R. Holland. So he got an honorable mention for that. I thought that was pretty good. Okay, so talk number five, because I'm going to go count down five, four, three, two, one. Number five, and uh, this talk, oh gosh, this is Dieter F. Uchtdorf's Your Great Adventure talk. And the minute he started talking about The Hobbit, I knew that the LDS world was going to explode because there are so many, and I say this with love, there are so many of us nerds and geeks here in the LDS world that you know, we just, we love our geekiness. And so the fact that Uchtdorf came out and was like, kind of like super geeky with us, just like was awesome. But I worry that in the middle of all of our celebration of the geekiness of Uchtdorf, that we overlook the doctrine of his talk and the really great quotes of his talk, which were so powerful. And the reason that I worry about that is because I know I did. Like the minute, like he started talking, I'm like, woo, the Hobbit, yeah, yeah. And then he drops in a Harry Potter quote and I'm like, Harry Potter, what? he just quoted Harry Potter. Like, that is awesome. And I lost actually listening to the doctrine that's in his talk because of that. So I had to go back and reread it and actually look for like the actual doctrine. And once I did, there's some really, really great stuff. Um, First off, he starts, you know, as he's talking about The Hobbit, he says, perhaps one of the reasons this story resonates with so many of us is because it is our story too. The story of someone going on a grand adventure, someone choosing to accept their divine destiny to go on whatever path that is laid before them. I think this is why fantasy just kind of connects, especially in like the Latter-day Saint community. I feel like fantasy connects with us really well because we feel that in so many of these fantasy stories, there's like these epic adventures where the heroes go on quests and they have these special gifts that they have to use to conquer the bad guys. And it's literally our story. You know, we are on an epic quest here to this life and we've been given special gifts that we can use to conquer the bad guy. And we all have separate missions that we are here to fulfill. And so I think that's why a lot of times the fantasy stories like The Hobbit or Lord of the Rings or Harry Potter, or Star Wars, or whatever, you know, awesome geekiness that you're into, I felt like sometimes that's the reason that those really resonate with us. One of the things that was interesting to me as he was talking, he's talking about, you know, before this life, and he talks about there must have been parts of this mortal adventure that worried and even terrified God's children, since a large number of our spiritual brothers and sisters decided against it. 
I had never thought of that before. Um, I'd always thought, you know, yay, we're going to get a body and yeah, we might choose the wrong, but you know what? We'll have a savior and he's going to bring us back to our father in heaven and yeah, let's do it. And I never considered that there would be people who were afraid of this plan, who were scared of the different parts that when they came down to earth that they would experience. And that would be why they chose the adversary's plan. I kind of never understood actually why anyone would have chosen the adversary's plan, but this made it clear to me that we knew that there would be danger and we knew that there would be scary stuff and really hard stuff in this life. And so that was a really kind of eye-opening moment to me. And then the fact that he says, but by the gift and the power of moral agency, we determined that the potential of what we could learn and eternally become was well worth the risk. We were willing to take that risk. All right, and so then he talks about when we are on our great quest, that our mortal life has a way of distracting us and kind of pulling us off the path of our quest that we are supposed to be on. And he says, we tend to lose sight of our great quest, preferring comfort and ease over growth and progress. Um, I'm raising my hand right here. Like, I would love to have a life of comfort and ease and second breakfasts compared to hard stuff and stressful stuff and sad stuff, but... It's the hard stuff and the stressful stuff and the sad stuff that helps me grow and change. That's really what I have to look at when I'm going through like hard obstacles and things like that in my life. That is the hard stuff that's causing me to grow and change. Um, He says, still there remains something undeniable deep within our hearts that hungers for a higher and nobler purpose. This hunger is one reason why people are drawn to the gospel of Jesus Christ. The restored gospel is, in a sense, a renewal of the call to adventure we accepted so long ago. The Savior invites us each day to set aside our comforts and securities and join him on the journey of discipleship. So a lot of times people say, why does bad stuff happen to good people? Well, I think when we're being good, when we are following Jesus Christ, a lot of times our life gets a little bit less comfortable more and more because it helps us grow and become more stalwart disciples of Jesus Christ. So I like that he made that point. So some of the ways that he talks about kind of going on our grand adventure, he says to incline your heart to God. And that phrase in particular stood out to me. I like the verb incline, like lean towards God is kind of what I got from that. And he says, the restored gospel of Jesus Christ is given to us in plain and simple way that even a child can understand. Yet the gospel of Jesus Christ has the answers to the most complex questions in life and has such profound depth and complexity that even with a lifetime of study and pondering, we can scarcely comprehend even the smallest part. I love that because it's like the simple answers that, you know, even like my primary kids can understand but then we turn around and then there's people like my dad who's like this huge like scriptural scholar and he's still learning stuff every day too. Like there is never ending learning in the gospel of Jesus Christ, but it's still personal and applicable to whatever level that you're on. You know, you can be anywhere on that scale of, you know, primary kid to like Hugh Nibley, right, scholarly kind of stuff. And you can be anywhere in between and the gospel is still pertinent to you. Like you can never learn enough about this gospel in this life, right? And I think that this is really good for those of us who maybe are a little insecure about our scriptural knowledge or our testimony. Maybe we don't feel like we have the strongest testimony. Uchtdorf says, if you hesitate in this adventure because you doubt your ability, Remember that discipleship is not about doing things perfectly. It's about doing things intentionally. It is your choices that show who you truly are far more than your abilities. That's the Harry Potter quote, by the way. Um, For everyone who's asking, Dumbledore says that to Harry in book two, The Chamber of Secrets. So several people were like, I missed the Harry Potter quote. The Harry Potter quote is, it's your choices that show who you truly are far more than your abilities. And it's true. Because we may not have the ability to, you know, be an awesome singer, or we may not have the ability to be an awesome leader, or be an awesome whatever, but the choices that we make to come to our Savior is what shows who we truly are and what our hearts are really at. Uchtdorf says, even when you fail, you can choose not to give up, but rather discover your courage, press forward, and rise up. That is the great test of this journey. God knows that you are not perfect, that you will fail at times. God loves you no less when you struggle than when you triumph. I was like, oh, what a nice thought. Like, our Heavenly Father loves us 
just the same when we're struggling and when we're failing as he does when we're triumphing and overcoming. Like, I was like, oh, that's a really good thought too. Um, And what a comfort that is that in the middle of my struggles, when I feel like I'm a hot mess or I'm a failure or I'm not good enough, he loves me just as much as if I had completed something perfectly, right? And I love that thought. Uchtdorf says, like a loving parent, he merely wants to keep you intentionally trying. Discipleship is like learning to play the piano. Perhaps all you can do at first is barely play a recognizable rendition of chopsticks. But if you continue practicing, the simple tunes will one day give way to wondrous sonatas, rhapsodies, and concertos. Now that day may not come during this life but it will come. All God asks is that you consciously keep striving. You consciously keep practicing and keep playing for him. That's all he asks. And then Uchtdorf goes in to talk about the importance of sharing your story. He says, tell your stories and experiences as a member of the Church of Jesus Christ to Latter-day Saints. Sometimes your stories will make people laugh. Sometimes they bring them to tears. Sometimes they will help people to continue in patience, resilience, and courage to face another hour, another day, and come a little closer to God. Share your experiences in person, on social media, in groups, everywhere. And I love that. He's talking specifically about missionary work in that particular context. However, I also love sharing our stories with other saints um, in our congregation and, you know, wherever we are, because I think it does imbue, like, patience, resilience, and courage to others. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that in another talk as well. But uh, I think it's so important to be real with each other at church. I think it's so important to share our stories, to let people know that they're not alone. So I love that he said that. And then I love the way that he ended his talk. Come and see what this marvelous, wondrous, adventurous journey is all about. Along the way, you will discover yourself. You will discover meaning. You will discover God. And you will discover the most adventurous and glorious journey of your life. Like, how beautiful is that? I mean, that was just awesome. Um, also, my family remarked that this was probably the first Uchtdorf talk we've ever heard about that had no airplanes in it. However, he mentioned dragons. So I think dragons as an airborne creature kind of count as, you know, some kind of flight metaphor, right? So um, he, he did have dragons in there. Okay, so my number four talk was Spiritual Capacity by Michelle Craig. And the reason I really like this talk is because she talked about Each one of us has a spiritual journey and a spiritual capacity for hearing the Lord, but we all do it in our own way. And I love that she's talking about the individual identity of each one of us, that we're individuals to our Heavenly Father. The way He speaks to each one of us may be different. And I think that is so important for us to realize. So some ways that she tells us that we can do this to best hear that individual voice for our lives and the guidance, individual guidance for our lives is first to be intentional about creating time and space to hear God's voice. She says, pick a time and place, listen for God's voice every day and keep this sacred appointment with exactness for so very much depends on it. Um, And I found that in my own personal life. At times, I have actually two times that I set aside for God. I set aside a time in the morning when I'm driving to work where I just, I don't turn anything on in my car. Um, No radios, no podcasts, no audiobooks, no music, nothing. Um, I'm just in quiet contemplation with my Father in Heaven, and um, He talks to me a lot during that time. Also, I have a time at night where I read my scriptures, you know, about 30 minutes or so. And so that's another time at night where we kind of talk back and forth together and um, just kind of touching in about like the day and um, what went on and my concerns and, you know, gratitude and stuff like that. So finding those two times and putting them aside for my Heavenly Father has really made a huge difference in my life. And it's something that I always find I need to like be better at and be more in tune with and I guess focus more intently on. So that's always a goal that I'm striving for. So, but I find when I am in tune and I am intent on it, that life does go much better. Two is act without delay. When you receive promptings and then act with intention, the Lord can use you. The more you act, the more familiar the voice of the spirit becomes. You will increasingly recognize God's guidance that he is willing to reveal his mind and will. If you delay, you might forget the prompting or miss the chance to help someone for God. Now, I had experience with this a couple weeks ago. Um, I had a friend who went through a medical procedure, and I just kept feeling like I needed to check on her. And because I had been through a similar medical procedure as well. And so, you know, I was like, okay, I'll check on her. I'll check on her. And, you know, just over and over again, I was like, you need to check on her. You need to check on her. I kept meaning to send her a text, and then life got busy, and I didn't. And I was at church, 
and I saw her husband come to church, but she didn't come to church. And so I went up to her husband. I'm like, how's she doing? And he was like, oh, and he was telling me all the stuff that she was going through. And so I was like, okay, well, I need to go talk to her because I think I can work her through some of the stuff and kind of see what's going on. But then I was like, oh, but I'm really tired. Like, I don't know that I have time to do it now. Then I was like, you know what? There's no time like the present. I'm like, I cannot put aside this prompting that I really need to go talk to her. And so I called her and I was like, I'm coming straight from church to your house. And she's like, yeah, come on over. I'm on the couch, but just come on. And so I did. And I went over and we talked. Um, And I think there was a concern that she had specifically about some of the symptoms that she had after this medical procedure that I think I was able to allay some of her concerns and that maybe that was a prompting from my Heavenly Father to go talk to her about this, to make her life better, to ease some of her worry and her fears. And I think if I had delayed my talk with her, if I hadn't gone directly over when I did, that, you know, she would have been stressed out and concerned about this a whole lot longer than she was. And I hate that I even delayed as much as I did, but I'm glad that I finally was like, nope, I just got to go do this. You know, I just got to go do this. Um, Not that it was a hard thing. It's just, you know, sometimes social stuff stresses me out and I'm like, I don't know if I have more people energy, but um, yeah, I sucked it up for her. And I'm glad that I did because I think that was an important moment. And it was a good prompting from my Heavenly Father. All right. Three, get your errand from the Lord. The prayer Heavenly Father seems eager to answer is our plea to be led to someone who needs our help. President Henry B. Eyring has taught us to seek revelation, asking God who we can help for him, which is a thought I had never thought before. I was like, that is a really good idea. We need to plea and not just pray, but plea to our father to be led to someone who needs our help. Um, I love that. She says, if you ask questions like that, the Holy Ghost will come and you will feel nudges about the things you can do for other people. When you go and do those things, you are on the Lord's errand. And when you're on the Lord's errand, you qualify for the gift of the Holy Ghost. You can pray and ask the Lord for an errand. And as you do, he can use your ordinary skills to accomplish his extraordinary work. And I think for those of us who are still struggling to find our path in life, who are struggling to find what our gifts are, this is a really good way to find some of your spiritual gifts. You know, they always come and show up when you're in the service of others. So asking the Lord to be on his errand, to be on his mission, to serve others is a really good way, I think, to start seeing how your spiritual gifts pop up. Fourth, she says, believe and trust. Sister Craig says, the Spirit spoke to my heart. Each of us has a different mission to perform, and at times the Spirit may call us in another way. I love this part of her talk because I'm like, yes, yes, Sister Craig, this is awesome. Amen. Keep going. All right. There are many ways to build the kingdom of God as covenant-making, covenant-keeping disciples of Jesus Christ. As his faithful disciple, you can receive personal inspiration and revelation consistent with his commandments that is tailored to you, specific to you. You have a unique mission and roles to perform in life and will be given unique guidance to fulfill them. Nephi, the brother of Jared, and even Moses all had a large body of water to cross, and each did it differently. Nephi worked timbers of curious workmanship. The brother of Jared built barges that were tight like unto a dish. And Moses walked upon dry land in the midst of the sea. Oh, that was like the quote. I'm like, I I need to write that down and put it like somewhere because she's absolutely right. Like each one of those had the same task pretty much to overcome. And the Lord guided them in different ways. Perhaps, you know, maybe Nephi's mind was particularly engineering, and so the Lord kind of, you know, sparked that little engineering spark in him and helped him kind of engineer a ship. Maybe the brother of Jared had, like, different skills and abilities, and Moses, I think he knew that Moses was just needed that grand symbol before the rest of the children of Israel. So because of each one of their different situations, each one of their different talents and abilities, they were sparked in different ways and led in different ways to fulfill the duties of the Lord. And I just love that because you have three righteous men trying to fulfill the same thing, but the Lord doing it three different ways. And what a good example that is to us. She continues, they each received personalized direction tailored to them and each trusted and acted. The Lord is mindful of those who obey and in the words of Nephi will prepare a way for us to accomplish the thing which he commandeth. Note that Nephi says a way, not the way. Do we miss or dismiss personal errands from the Lord because he has prepared a way different from the one we expect? Oh yeah, I think we do. Um, I think there's lots of times in my life where I'm like, whoa, that was not how that was supposed to go down. That's not how I had it in my head. But the way that it works out instead is exactly how it needs to be. 
And so I love that. Um, I love that our Heavenly Father is so individually aware of each one of us and what we have going on in our lives and the strengths and our history and our background, just like Paul. You know, he put Paul in very specific situations so that he could go and fulfill a very specific task. And I think that Heavenly Father is building each and every one of us, just like Paul, to go be part of a very specific task. We're going to talk more about that in another talk that's coming up because I think our Heavenly Father did something very cool with one of our general authorities. We're going to talk about that later, though. So the next talk, number three on my list, this one, oh, y'all, this is going to be a classic for me. I, I can already tell I'm probably going to come back to it multiple times in my life because um, it just spoke to me so much. But it was Through Cloud and Sunshine, Lord Abide With Me by Reina L. Alberto. And this was a general women's session. Um, also, I want to point something out. I noticed about her talk specifically is where I noticed it, but it was in a couple of other talks I noticed too, that this was the first time when I was going in and reading footnotes on the talks, that it wasn't just like quoting a scripture or giving you, you know, like a bibliographical reference to whatever quote that they were saying. It actually went in and said, so this is what I'm saying about this. And sometimes this means this. And, you know, here's some more information on like the emotional conditions that I'm talking about is what her talk said. Just to give you an example, um, in one of her paragraphs where she says, all human beings, male and female, are created in the image of God. Each is a beloved spirit, son or daughter of heavenly parents, and each has a divine destiny. Like our heavenly parents and our Savior, we have a physical body and experience emotions. And there's like a little footnote five over the word emotions. If you click on footnote five, it takes you to this like little paragraph at the top where she says, see, for example, and she's got scriptures listed. She says, learning to identify and value our emotions can help us use them constructively to become more like our Savior, Jesus Christ. I was like, what? We actually have like a little bit more like commentary on the talks and what's going on. Her talk in specific, I noticed it. Um, Uchtdorf had a couple of different footnotes like that as well. Um, some of the other talks were much more straightforward where it was just like, you know, here's the scripture I'm talking about. So, um, but check out her footnotes because a lot of her footnotes had really good resources in them. All right. So through cloud and sunshine, Lord abide with me by Reina L. Alberto. The reason I love her talk so much is because we do not talk nearly enough about mental illness in the church. One in four grown adults are dealing with mental illness. We should be talking about it a whole lot more than we are. And I love that she addressed it. I also love that she addressed the topic of her father's suicide in general conference, because I think a lot of times suicide is something that we hide and we kind of tuck away. I think her reaching out like that made people who have experienced, you know, the pain of suicide in their life or had suicidal ideation make them feel not so alone, that they're not alone, that someone, you know, obviously here at the church felt strongly enough to say something about it. Um, I think that was really, really cool. And I think I love that she talks also about, you know, the different aspects of mental illness. Um, She said, black clouds may also form in our lives, which can blind us to God's light and even cause us to question if that light exists for us anymore. Okay, so this is so important. I have found in my own life that when I am dealing with depression, the light of Christ dims. And it's not because I've done anything wrong. It's not because I'm sinning or I'm not taking the sacrament or anything like that. I'm still doing all the things I know I should. But there is something about mental illness that blocks the light of Christ. And I'm not sure what it is, but I love that she recognizes that and says, hey, if you are depressed and you feel like the light of Christ is no longer in your life, like that happens, right? It's not you. It's the depression. She says some of these clouds are of depression, anxiety, and other forms of mental and emotional affliction. They can distort the ways we perceive ourselves, others, and even God. They affect women and men of all ages in all corners of the world. She goes on to talk about, you know, if you're struggling and if you are feeling constantly sad, like, because, you know, she says that there's sadness and, you know, there's, oh, you know, disappointments in life. But if you are constantly sad and if your pain blocks the ability to feel the love of our Heavenly Father and His Son and the influence of the Holy Ghost, then you may be suffering from depression, anxiety, or another emotional condition. Again, she's acknowledging that mental illness can block that light sometimes. So if you are dealing with mental illness and you feel like your Father in Heaven has removed Himself, He is not. It's just depression does something to our brains that makes us not feel that quite so clearly. And she goes on even further to say, A friend described it this way, Since my early childhood, I have faced a constant battle with feelings of hopelessness, darkness, 
loneliness, fear, and the sense that I am broken or defective. I did everything to hide my pain and to never give the impression that I was anything but thriving and strong. And that quote rang so true with me because I feel like growing up in the church especially, it just may be part of my personality that I'm a people pleaser, so I don't like to let people know that there is anything wrong. Um, So I always tried to give off this impression that everything was fine and everything was perfect, whereas deep inside, I struggle and I have always struggled with feelings of worthlessness, um, darkness, and loneliness, not being good enough. Like that is probably one of my biggest um, struggles is, you know, the voices inside of you that say you're not good enough, you're worthless. Like there's, there's no point to this. Like why would anyone want you? Why would anyone, you know, choose to talk to you? Why would anyone want you as a friend? You know, those little voices, that's something that I've struggled with my whole life. But yet, Growing up in the church, I always felt like I could never tell anybody about it. I felt like I had to be strong and, you know, perform like everything was perfect and fine. You know, I guess we have a lot of those high-functioning people who are still dealing with depression and anxiety, but look like everything's fine. And so that, to me, rang so true because I'm like, I have felt that. You know, battling with feelings of hopelessness, darkness, loneliness, and fear, and the sense that I'm broken or defective, but hiding my pain and never giving the impression that anything was wrong, but everything was thriving and strong. I'm like, oh girl, I felt that. So if you are in a similar situation, know that you're not alone. And know that there are so many people that show up at church looking thriving and strong, but they are dealing with horrible things underneath. Um, Horrible battles are raging in their minds. And I think the more that we are open about that, the more that we can support each other and bear each one's burdens. And she goes on to say that, in contrast, when we open up about our emotional challenges, admitting we are not perfect, we give others permission to share their struggles. Together we realize there is hope and we do not have to suffer alone, right? I think that is so important, guys. Um, We give others permission to share their struggles. We give others permission to share their grief and their burdens with us and then we're able to lift them up. You know, I think of um, this audiobook that I listened to, Girl, Wash Your Face by Rachel Hollis. Rachel Hollis has this whole like conference she does. It's called the Rise Conference. Um, and it's a whole lot like Time Out for Women, but you know, just kind of generalized Christian instead of, um, you know, LDS culture kind of thing. But so she has this Rise Conference. And one of the exercises that she does at the Rise Conference is she has them fill out this kind of survey. And they go through, and the questions on the survey are things like, I have dealt with depression. I feel worthless. I don't like the way I look. I have been abused. I've been a victim of violence. I've been a victim of family abuse. I've been, you know, all the horrible, awful things that you can possibly imagine that women go through. And you go through and, you know, you mark it, you keep it as anonymous as possible. And then you fold it up. And then she has you, you know, like you pass it around to like, she's like, pass it five to left. And then pass it back three rows. And then pass it back three ways. And like, so, you know, they pass it around so it's scattered. So all these papers get scattered among all the women who are in attendance at this conference. And then they do this activity called Stand for Your Sister. And I would love to do this at a Relief Society activity one day. But you basically you get this survey that somebody else in the audience, another woman, has filled out. And she says, you know, for those of you who have dealt with depression, she's like, please stand for your sister. Because a lot of times we can't open up about our struggles, but in that moment, the woman holding your piece of anonymous paper knows that not you, she doesn't know your identity, but she knows that a woman in this audience is struggling with whatever that is, depression or whatever, and she stands up and bears your burden for just that one second. And what a powerful testimony to sisterhood that is. Um, You can actually go find videos of it on YouTube, Stand for Your Sister, Rachel Hollis. But it's a really powerful experience to watch and to see these women support each other and be willing to stand and bear that burden for another woman that they don't even know who's gone through something horrible and is dealing with something awful. But then that really opens it up to those conversation pieces like, yeah, I've dealt with this and it was really awful and I know you're dealing with it too and let's come together and hold on to one another as we're going through this, right? So like Sister Alberto says, we realize there's hope and we do not have to suffer alone. She goes on to say, as disciples of Jesus Christ, we have made a covenant with God that we are willing to bear one another's burdens, to mourn with those that mourn. This may include becoming informed about emotional illnesses, finding resources that can help address these struggles, and ultimately bringing ourselves and others to Christ, who is the master healer. Even if we don't know how to relate to what others are going through, 
Validating that their pain is real can be important and an important first step in finding and understanding and healing. She says, in some cases, the cause of depression or anxiety can be identified, while other times it may be harder to discern. Our brains may suffer because of stress or staggering fatigue, which can sometimes be improved through adjustments in diet and sleep and exercise. Other times, therapy or medication under the direction of trained professionals may also be needed. So, you know, just a reminder, yes, we need to have empathy for our brothers and sisters who struggle with emotional illness and mental illness, but we are not trained therapists. So when we try to advise someone, and I know it's coming out of like the best place of our heart, um, because I do it too, guys. Like, I'm like, okay, you've got a problem. I want to fix it. I want to make you feel better. So here's all my suggestions to make it better, to help you fix it, right? Whereas a lot of times when you're dealing with mental illness, what they really just need is an ear for someone to listen to them. They just need an ear. They just need someone to listen and not someone to give them advice because, again, we're not professionally trained therapists. We can't tell them specifically what cognitive behavioral therapy approaches that they need to take to whatever they're going through, but we can be there to listen, to bear their burden, and to show them love, non-judgmental love. Um, So I think it's important to remember that as well. Also, she does say that sometimes improvements can be made through diet, sleep, and exercise. So I'm not discounting that because that can be a huge part of healing for a lot of us with mental illness. Um, It can be about taking care of yourself to the point where behavior and medication then do work. Another quote from her talk says, Sadly, many who suffer from severe depression distance themselves from their fellow saints because they do not fit into some imaginary mold. Um, We talk a lot about ideals in the church, about perfect families living together forever and, you know, husband and wife sealed together in the temple. And for many of us, that is not a reality. And especially when you're dealing with depression and you don't look like the happy, perfect Molly Mormon or Peter Priesthood, you know, like we used, I used to say that all the time when I was a teenager. Um, you don't look like the perfect, I guess, Latter-day Saint or whatever you think the ideal of a perfect Latter-day Saint is. We tend to disconnect from others, which is a totally normal thing anyways, because depression tends to disconnect you from others anyways. Like you tend to start breaking off those connections with people. You kind of go into hiding. And so it would be a very natural way to say, hey, I'm not living up to the ideal that I'm supposed to. I'm just going to stay home from church today because I don't fit in. I don't fit that mold that I'm supposed to. And so we need to reach out to those who are in that situation say, hey, I love you anyways. Like, I don't care what you got going on. I still love you. She says, it's important to recognize that depression is not the result of weakness, nor is it usually the result of sin. It thrives in secrecy, but shrinks in empathy. That is so important that when we hold depression secret, it thrives. That lets it grow. But then when we share it with others and others are bearing our burden, that the empathy there, it helps open up and it kind of shrinks back. And the footnote for that is actually for a really good book written by a Latter-day Saint therapist that I recommend. Again, you know she's got like the best footnotes here. It's called Silent Souls Weeping by Jane Clayson Johnson. So if you have anyone in your life that's dealing with depression, if you yourself are dealing with depression, Silent Souls Weeping. Definitely go check that out. It's a really good one. And she also says, your struggles do not define you, but they can refine you. Um, Again, going to that thorn in the flesh thing that we've been talking about, you know, they can help us come closer to God. And finally, she ends with just, I mean, awesomeness. She says, I testify to you that through cloud and sunshine, the Lord will abide with us. Our afflictions can be swallowed up in the joy of Christ, and it is by grace that we are saved after all we can do. I testify that Jesus Christ will return to the earth with healing in his wings. It's one of my favorite scriptures there. Ultimately, he shall wipe away all tears from our eyes, and there shall be no more sorrow. For all who will come into Christ and be perfected in him, the sun shall no more go down, for the Lord shall be our everlasting light, and our days of mourning shall be ended. What a beautiful promise and a beautiful thing to focus on in the middle of all this darkness. It's like the clouds parting, and she's given us a glimpse of the sunshine. I just love it. I loved her talk so much, and I definitely recommend that you go reread it because it's got some great stuff. All right, so talk number two, talk about. Um, This is President Russell M. Nelson's talk from the women's session, Spiritual Treasures. I love that he talked so much about women and the priesthood. Um, And I know that that's due to like a lot of the stuff that's going on culturally. But I also think it's been a long time coming that it needs to be addressed. And he did a great job of addressing it. Um, He starts out talking about harmony, the different things that happen in harmony, and specifically the instruction that Emma got in harmony. Um, And this is one of the things 
it was it was good for me to hear this because one of my issues with the doctrine and covenants a lot of times is that there are lots of early saints who I felt like were kind of chastised and it was written down publicly. And so we have like record of their chastisement from the Lord. And it really kind of bothers me a lot of times. This is one of the ones that kind of bothered me. But um, he, the Lord instructs Emma to expound the scriptures, to exhort the church, to receive the Holy Ghost, to spend her time learning much. She was counseled to lay aside the things of this world and seek for things of a better and to hold fast to her covenants with God. And so I'm like, well, that's kind of a private thing. Like, I don't know that that necessarily needs to be recorded in the Doctrine and Covenants. It kind of bothered me before. But President Nelson also includes, this is my voice unto all. And so that can actually be constructive criticism for all of us, that we need to spend our time learning much to lay aside the things of this world and seek for a better, to hold fast to our covenants with God. Um, and I love that President Nelson kind of pulled that out. President Nelson says, Because the Melchizedek priesthood has been restored, both covenant-keeping women and men have access to all the spiritual blessings of the church, or, we might say, to all the spiritual treasures the Lord has for his children. Every woman and every man who makes covenants with God and keeps those covenants and who participates worthily in priesthood ordinances has direct access to the power of God. Those who are endowed in the house of the Lord receive a gift of God's priesthood power by virtue of their own covenant, along with a gift of knowledge on how to draw upon that power. All right, so pause right there. I want to talk about this. In one of my groups that I follow on Facebook, they were talking specifically like, how do you help prepare people for the temple? Or people who go to the temple, how do you help elevate their temple experience? Because he's talking there about the gift of knowledge and knowing how to draw upon the power of the endowment. How do you do that? Well, I think a lot of times we are so afraid of giving away secret things that are supposed to be kept sacred that we don't talk a lot about the temple. I think that there are times and places that are sacred where as long as we are not giving away things that we have promised to keep secret, we can discuss. Um, An example would be like in the bishop's office with your bishop. You can discuss maybe some questions that you have about the temple. Another suggestion would be, you know, maybe parents talking to a child as the child's preparing to go for their endowment. Again, as long as you're not giving away sacred ordinances and covenants and things like that, you're just talking about endowment ceremony in general, and it's in a sacred space, and the Spirit is there, I think it's okay. One of my favorite places to discuss the endowment and things like that are when I go to the temple with um, several of my friends, and we're like on our way back, and we ask questions, and like, oh, what did you think about this? And oh, what did you think about this? And um, we really kind of discuss the depth of the gospel, and I really enjoy that. Also, another time I found I got some really good answers in the temple to things that were going on there was the temple president was kind of talking to me and my mom as we had gone through because we are good friends with their family. We've known them a long time. And so I asked him a question and he was like, oh, well, that's a really great question. Come on over to my office and we'll talk about it. I'm like, what? The temple president has time to like take out of his day. And so we sat down for like 10 minutes or so and he answered my question there in his office there in the temple. Um, So I'm not saying that the temple president will always have time to do that. I'm just saying if you have questions in the temple that going to one of the temple workers or a temple president or the temple matron might be a good place to start too, that they might be a really good spot um, to talk about. Also, there's all kinds of really good books out there. There's one by Andrew Skinner that's really good. And then The Temple, A Pathway to Healing and Holiness by Wendy Ulrich um, is my all-time favorite temple book. I love that one so much. So if you have questions about the covenants that are made in the temple, um, the gifts of knowledge, and knowing how to draw upon the power of the temple, I definitely recommend that you look at those sources. Continuing on with President Nelson's talk, the heavens are just as open to women who are endowed with God's power flowing from priesthood covenants as they are to men who bear the priesthood. I pray that truth will register upon each of your hearts because I believe it will change your life. Sisters, you have the right to draw liberally upon the Savior's power to help your family and friends and others that you love. Now you might say to yourself, this sounds wonderful, but how do I do it? How do I draw upon the Savior's power into my life? You won't find this process spelled out in any manual. The Holy Ghost will be your personal tutor as you seek to understand what the Lord would have you know and do. This process is neither quick nor easy, but it is spiritually invigorating. Which I love that thought, spiritually invigorating. It makes me think of like, I don't know, jumping in a cold pool of water. You know, that's invigorating. So, you know, woohoo, spiritually invigorating. I don't know. What could possibly be more exciting than to labor with the Spirit to understand God's power? priesthood power. 
What I can tell you is that accessing the power of God in your life requires the same things that the Lord instructed Emma and each of us to do. Which I'm like, okay, that goes back to, you know, Emma's little talk with the Lord there. Like, okay, so that actually was good because now it helps me know what I need to do in my own life. And he says, I invite you to study prayerfully section 25 of the Doctrine and Covenants and discover what the Holy Ghost will teach you. Because again, going back to Sister Craig's talk, what he teaches me may be totally different from what he teaches you. And each one of us is going to get our own specialized tutorial and what we need to know about the priesthood. So I definitely recommend that you go study section 25. He says, your personal spiritual endeavor will bring you joy as you gain understand and use the power from which you, you have been endowed. And um, he says, most certainly the adversary does not want you to understand the covenant you made at baptism or the profound endowment of knowledge and power you have received or will receive in the temple, the house of the Lord. And Satan certainly doesn't want you to understand that every time you worthily serve and worship in the temple, you leave armed with God's power and his angels have charge over you. Satan and his minions will constantly contrive roadblocks to prevent you from understanding the spiritual gifts with which you have been and can be blessed. So I think that's really important when we get like, oh, I'm so frustrated. I can't understand anything about the temple or I can't understand anything about my spiritual gifts or anything about the priesthood. When we hit those roadblocks, I think a lot of times it's important to push through them because that's not our savior. Our savior wants us to understand those things. So um, just kind of push through those. And then he goes in to clarify some things. And this is kind of a long quote. I apologize, but I feel like I wanted to say it specifically in the words of our prophet. I didn't want to like paraphrase and maybe get something wrong about this because it is the priesthood. So here's what he says. Now may I clarify several additional points with respect to women and the priesthood. When you are set apart to serve in a calling under the direction of one who holds priesthood keys, such as your bishop or stake president, you are given priesthood authority to function in that calling. Similarly, in the Holy Temple, you are authorized to perform and officiate in priesthood ordinances every time you attend. Your temple endowment prepares you to do so. If you are endowed but not currently married to a man who bears the priesthood, and someone says to you, I'm sorry you don't have the priesthood in your home. Okay, pause. Uh, by the way, please don't ever say that to anyone. Like, just don't ever say that. That's not helpful at all. All right, unpause. Please understand that that statement is incorrect. You may not have a priesthood bearer in your home, but you have received and made sacred covenants with God in his temple. From those covenants flows an endowment of his priesthood power upon you. Like what a blessing that is. This is Lexi, not President Nelson. But what a blessing that is to know that the priesthood is in my home, even though I don't have a priesthood bearer in my home. That to me is such an important blessing. All right. Unpause. Russell M. Nelson again. As a righteous, endowed, Latter-day Saint woman, you speak and teach with power and authority from God. Whether by exhortation or conversation, we need your voice teaching the doctrine of Christ. We need your input in family, ward, and state councils. Your participation is essential and never ornamental. I think that is so important too. I love that he said that, especially with input in family, ward, and state councils, because I know that there's people who have felt marginalized and minimized, um, like they're just the symbolic woman on some of these councils. So make sure that your voice is heard because you speak and teach with the power and authority from God, just like any other priesthood holder does. So I think that was really nice that he clarified that. And then putting his money where his mouth is, kind of, you know, as the saying goes, um, showing how important women are in the church, he announced the temples during the women's session in the middle of his talk, which I thought was a really nice symbolic move um, of him showing the importance of the temple in women's lives and the importance of women in the temple, too. So I love that he announced the temples during the women's session. I actually wondered when he was going to do it because I like they didn't do it in either of the Saturday sessions. And I'm like, huh, don't they usually announce those in Saturday sessions? And then um, he did it in the women's session. So I guess he was just waiting for that. So a beautiful talk by Russell M. Nelson, President Nelson. I definitely recommend that you go um, and listen to it again because I, I find different things every time I read it. I find different things that stand out to me about the priesthood. And he's got a lot of really good suggestions. If you want to understand more about women in the priesthood, places you can go read it. Okay, so my number one talk. <laughs> I love this talk so much. Probably because I love the guy who gave it so much. So P Elder Peter M. Johnson, The Power to Overcome the Adversary. So real quick, 
I know Elder Johnson because he he lived here in Alabama for a little while. And so I want to talk to you a little bit about Elder Johnson and his background because I see him a whole lot like Paul. He is very similar to Paul. He has a very interesting background that very individually prepared him for where he is today. So Elder Johnson was born and raised in Queens, New York. Okay. In his early teens, he was a rapper. He performed at weddings and high school dances and at block parties, which if you go in and you listen to this talk as he's reading, like you can see the rhythm and the motion of like what he's saying. And you can see some of those early rapping skills kind of coming out from his background, right? He became Muslim at age 12. He converted to Islam at age 12. Very interesting background, right? Um, his mom and him moved to Hawaii, and there he went to BYU Hawaii on a basketball scholarship, eventually transferred to Dixie State, and that is where he joined the church. He then served as a missionary in Alabama. Woot, woot. All right. Then he went on to go get several degrees and several honors from academic institutions all over the West Coast, um, including a doctorate in accounting. And he came back to God's country. He came back to Alabama again after all that to be a professor at the University of Alabama. And so that was where he lived most recently. In 2013, Elder Johnson was called as president of the Bessemer Alabama Stake and became the first African-American man to be a stake president in Alabama. That was like a huge historic moment for us. Um, It was really cool when that happened here in the South. And he is also the first African-American general authority We have several other general authorities from Africa and various other countries where he's the first African-American general authority, and he's also the first African-American to speak at conference. So watching him speak was literally like watching history, and I think it was so cool. But he is just one of the most kind and gentle and genuine people. Like, I I just love him. I just love his spirit that he has, um, just a gentle giant, but just so intelligent, so smart. And what a background, you know, coming from Queens and from Islam and, but joining the church. I mean, what a cool background that he has that has prepared him to be general authority of the Lord in these latter days, you know, I just think he's so cool. So his talk, the power to overcome the adversary. First off again, you know, I love him because he does stuff like this. His talk opens up brothers and sisters. Thank you for all you do to become and to help others become true followers of Jesus Christ and enjoy the blessings of the Holy Temple. Oh, he's thanking us. Like, how cool is that? And then he says, thank you for your goodness. You are wonderful. You are beautiful. Oh, like heart, heart eye emojis, right? That's so sweet. I love how that he started out that way. He goes on to talk about, we are choice spirits who are reserved to come forth in the fullness of times to take part in laying the foundation of a great latter day work. President Russell M. Nelson declared, You were taught in the spirit world to prepare you for anything and everything you would encounter during the latter part of these latter days. And that teaching endures with you. What a cool concept and a cool thought. You know, I've thought before, we were taught very specific lessons, and sometimes I think we bring those lessons with us to here on earth as spiritual gifts um, or maybe as talents. You know, there are things that we worked on in the spirit world, and we bring them to this earth as kind of like our talents and gifts but very specific gifts that he's we've been given to prepare for anything and everything we could encounter. Um, I love that. He says, you are elect sons and daughters of God. You have the power to overcome the adversary. The adversary, however, is also aware of who you are. He knows of your divine heritage, and he seeks to limit your earthly and heavenly potential by using the three Ds, deception, distraction, and discouragement. So this is another reason I loved Elder Johnson's talk, because he makes it so easy to remember the stuff that he's talking about. We've got the three D's and then after that, he's going to give us how to fight it. Um, every day, every day, every day. You're going to see him say that a lot. I love it. All right. So deception, distraction, and discouragement. And the reason I love these so much was because I think, you know, especially with the stage that I am in my life, I don't get like outward temptations like, Oh, come over here and sin or, you know, Oh, take this drink or, Oh, go do this immoral thing. Like that doesn't happen a whole lot in my life. But what happens is I get deceived into thinking, you know, of myself the way the world does instead of like the way my heavenly father does. I get distracted by meaningless garbage stuff of our society And then I get discouraged about who I am and my true worth. And so those are three 
ways that I definitely see the adversary attacking me versus like the outright like temptation, I guess, that we sometimes think about. So for deception, he gives the example of Moses and the adversary. And he says, the adversary was relentless in his attempts to deceive Moses, but Moses resisted saying, depart from me, Satan, for this one God only will I worship, which is the God of glory. Moses remembered who he was, a son of God. The Lord's words to Moses apply to you and me. We are created in God's own image and he has a work for us to do. The adversary attempts to deceive by having us forget who we truly are. If we do not understand who we are, then it is difficult to recognize who we can become. And I see that deception in my own life several times. Um, That's one of the ways that I think that Satan really attacks me is trying to make me forget who I really am. And be so caught up in the moment and so caught up in whatever I'm worrying about and whatever I've got going on that I lose that eternal perspective of who I am and whose I am. Um, You know, so I definitely see that. Then he's talking about distraction. He says, in our day, there are many distractions, including Twitter, Facebook, virtual reality, games, and much more. These technological advances are amazing, but if we are not careful, they can distract us from fulfilling our divine potential. Using them appropriately can bring forth the power of heaven and allow us to witness miracles as we seek to gather scattered Israel on both sides of the veil. I thought that was really cool because he's not like, put technology down and walk away from it. He was like, you know, use it. Use it like the tool it is and bring about miracles by using it. Make sure that you're using it like with a purpose. He says, let us be careful and not casual in our use of technology. Continually seek for ways that technology can draw us closer to the Savior and allow us to accomplish his work as we prepare for the second coming. Again, don't shun technology. Just use it appropriately. I love that. All right, discouragement. So he says, we may get discouraged when we compare ourselves to others or feel we are not living up to our expectations, including our own expectations. My dear friends, please do not let anyone steal your happiness. Do not compare yourself to others. Please remember the loving words of the Savior. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. I love that reminder not to compare ourselves to others because when I compare myself to others is when I start to feel discouraged. I'm not doing as much as this person. I can't do as much as this person. I can't do this the same way that person can. And that's really when I start feeling small and I start shrinking in on myself. He continues, first remember that the first and great commandment is to love God with our heart, our mind, might, and strength. All that we do should be motivated by our love for him and his son. As we develop our love for them by keeping their commandments, our capacity to love ourselves and to love others will increase. We will begin to serve family, friends, and neighbors because we will see them as the Savior sees them, as sons and daughters of God. Second, pray unto the Father in the name of Jesus Christ every day, every day, every day. I love that so much. Just his emphasis on every day and the importance of praying every day and just repeating it three different times. And just the way that he emphasized it, like that's something I can remember. You know, I need to pray every day, every day, every day. It is through prayer that we can feel the love of God and show our love for him. Through prayer, we express gratitude and ask for the strength and the courage to submit our will to God's and be guided and directed in all things. Third, he says, read and study the Book of Mormon every day every day, every day. And he says his Book of Mormon studies tend to go better when he has a question in mind. And he says the Book of Mormon will get us nearer to God by abiding by its precepts than any other book. It contains the words of Christ and helps us remember who we are. Lastly, and this is the part, you know, I love the sacrament. I love, love, love the sacrament. And he talks about the sacrament here. So he says, lastly, prayerfully partake of the sacrament every week, every week, every week. It is through covenants and priesthood ordinances, including the sacrament, that the power of God is manifest in our lives. As we humbly partake of the sacrament, we remember Jesus' suffering in the sacred garden called Gethsemane and his sacrifice on the cross. We express gratitude to the Father for sending his only begotten Son, our Redeemer, and show our willingness to keep his commandments and to always remember him. There is a spiritual enlightenment associated with the sacrament. It is personal it is powerful, and it is needed. Oh, I just 
love the way he writes. Like, I just love his writing and his talks. I mean, just amazing. Then he closes, and it's such a powerful witness of Jesus Christ. So I love this closing. I'm going to read it to you. But just think, this is a young guy from Queens who was a rapper, and now here he is up in front of the entire church, and he's saying this. I mean, the like, from where he went to where he is now is just such a huge leap culturally. Like, he just blows my mind. But here he says, Brothers and sisters, I share with you my love and declare unto you my witness that I know Heavenly Father lives and that Jesus is the Christ. I love them. The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is God's kingdom upon the earth. We have a divine appointment to gather Israel and prepare the world for the second coming of the Messiah. What a beautiful testimony. I mean, and so... I just love his example because honestly, anyone can come to the gospel of Jesus Christ. We don't need to have any preconceived notions of, you know, what people are like or, oh, they already are this way. So they're not going to come to the gospel of Jesus Christ. But he is such an amazing story. So um, he just really stood out to me. Also, he's coming to our state conference here in Huntsville in a couple of weeks. And I'm really excited to hear what he has to say. It's going to be a really good conference, I think. So um, anyways, those were my top five favorite and honorable mention top five favorite talks from conference um i hope you enjoyed it i know this was a really long episode sorry guys i had a lot to say but i love you guys i hope you have a good week we will be back with our regularly scheduled the savior said episode next week bye y'all the savior said is not an official product or endorsed by the church of jesus christ of latter-day saints all comments and opinions are my own personal opinions and not representative of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. The music used in The Savior Said is Fireflies and Stardust by Kevin McLeod. The hymn quoted in the opening is Come Follow Me, lyrics by John Nicholson. The Come Follow Me curriculum can be found at comefollowme.churchofjesuschrist.org. For show notes, new episode alerts, and other fun and inspirational things, check out my Facebook page at facebook.com slash thesaviorsaid. Have a question or comment? Email me at thesaviorsaid at gmail.com. Content in The Savior Said is copyright protected. All rights are reserved. Thank you for listening.